Well, let's open our Bibles up to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. If you don't already know where it is, you'll find it in the New Testament toward the back of your Bible. Um, if you can find the book of Hebrews, right after Hebrews is the book of James. And right after James, you'll find 1 Peter. We're going to look at chapter 1 this morning of 1 Peter. And if everybody's there, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So we see in these first three verses here who wrote this letter, which of course was Peter. And we also see who his intended his intended audience was, the original audience that he sent this letter to. Uh, these were a people that Peter refers to here as pilgrims in verse 1. They were a people that were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, and as a result, they were dispersed. That is, they, were, they had to spread themselves out amongst other people groups so that they would not be captured and killed or at least imprisoned for their faith in Jesus Christ. And God the Father, in His ultimate plan to offer redemption to mankind, gave to mankind the gift of His only begotten Son. Jesus was, of course, a man on this earth, and God the Father chose that Jesus would come into this world as a Jew. Jesus would grow up amongst his people, the Jews, and along with his disciples, whom were also Jews, he would preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus would ultimately, we know, be crucified, dead, and buried, and of course, rise from the dead. He then ascended into heaven, and he sent his Holy Spirit upon his disciples, like Peter here, and they would go on to live and to preach the gospel throughout the whole world. And in the beginning, the gospel was preached by and to Jews only. Initially, when the gospel started to go forth, it was preached by the Jews and to the Jews. And they were God's chosen, the elect of God that Peter refers to here. And these are the ones that are dispersed all out amongst all the people groups because they were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were Jews who were persecuted for this. And later, we know the gospel would then go out to the Gentiles as well. That is, to the non-Jewish people of the world. Every race of every people, all the way up to our present time now, can hear the gospel, receive the gospel. The gospel is still being preached today. Those that believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, are part of the church today, the body of Christ. So, Again, what I'm pointing out here is God chose a specific group of people referred to in the Bible as the elect 
to bring His Son through. And through them, they started the preaching of the gospel, which then led, as I said earlier, to the gospel going out into all the world. God's plan is that now, God's plan is whosoever will can come to faith. In other words, whosoever will give their hearts to Jesus can come to faith in Jesus Christ today. And again, these people to whom Peter writes were a people that were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And as we sit here today, we are really not all that familiar with persecution for the profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. Not like these people were, right? At least not too much by the, the world, the people around us. We're not really persecuted for our faith. But it's coming, and you can see it coming. Times, they are changing, right, as they say. And this book of First Peter, what it is, is it's a reminder to all of us where we come from in our faith, right? And how we are to persevere in our faith. How we come to our faith, I should say, and how we are to persevere in our faith. That's what this letter is about. So Peter goes on in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Now there is a lot said in those two verses there, verses 3 and 4. We see there in verse 3 that God has showed abundant mercy toward us. It's important that we keep that in mind. Webster's Dictionary describes mercy as compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. Let me read that definition again. This is what mercy is. Compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. That's mercy. You see, our God is an awesome God. That is, He is all-powerful. He is a consuming fire, worthy of our fear. That is our reverence, right? Our total obedience to Him. But of course, we know that we as mankind have all fallen short of the glory of God, and we are sinners worthy of punishment. But God the Father has, in Jesus Christ, shown compassion and forbearance toward us. He has shown abundant mercy by giving to this world His only begotten Son. And to the ones that have repented of their sin, and that's an important part of the gospel that's often left out in gospel preaching today, is that one must repent of their sin. But to the one that has repented of their sin and has given their life to the leading of Jesus Christ, there is something reserved in heaven for us. Something that Peter talks about here that does not fade away and never will. That is not corrupted as this world that we presently live in is corrupted. 
that eternal life that we will inherit in heaven someday is, as Peter calls it here, undefiled. And we know we have this living hope that Peter talks about here of what is reserved for us in the eternal future. And all of this was made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And still speaking of those people of faith, verse 5 continues and says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now let's just stay on verse 5 here for a little bit. It says here that the people that will inherit eternal life, eternal life are a people that are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So the power, you see, is in faith. In the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Again, the gospel went to the Jew first and then to the rest of the world. So when a person is walking by faith in Jesus Christ, they are kept by the power of God. And what are they kept for? Well, it says there in verse 5 that they are kept for salvation that will be revealed in the last time. You see, right now is what we are to live, we, the way we are to live right now is by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. That is, those that have been justified, those that have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ are a people that will walk by faith all the way till the end of their lives or until the return of Jesus Christ. So when we continue in the faith, we are kept, that is, we are saved within, safe, I should say, within the power of God. And we will one day walk into our inheritance, right? We'll walk into that salvation. That day will come for us. But right now, we walk by faith. And it's through faith that we get to that salvation. So we must persevere in the faith. And that's what Peter is writing these people to do. Hey, you're going through a struggle. They were literally going through persecution for their faith. Again, we're not really all that persecuted for our faith like they were, right? And they were going through this and Peter's telling them to persevere. And this book is written to us so that we will persevere in the faith so that we will stay the course all the way till the end. In this, verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is, te though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here again, it is faith that keeps us all the way till the end 
until the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know about the revelation of Jesus Christ, there's a whole book in the Bible that tells about it. But in this life, there may be and there most likely will be trials and temptation, temptations that will test the genuineness of your faith. Even though we may not be persecuted in one way for our faith, there are trials and temptations that will test the genuineness of our faith. You will be tempted to sin. You will be tempted to give in to worldliness. And there will be many trials of your faith to see if you're going to persevere or if you're going to give in and go the other direction where you came from in the world, right? But these trials are good in that they will prove or they will disprove the strength of your faith. In the end, you want your faith to be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will say to you one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if you have stayed the course of faith. If you've got to your salvation through faith, if you've walked the walk all the way through the end. This is what the Bible teaches. Okay, And we know what faith is. Faith is trusting in. Faith is standing firmly upon now in the present time what we do not yet see with our eyes. And in verse 8 it says, speaking of Jesus, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you see, salvation is in actuality a future event for us, but through faith we are kept by the power of God. And we rejoice today in the fact that our souls will be saved. And how do we know this? When we stay the, stay the course of faith. When we keep walking in faith and don't give in to the trials and temptations. Right? And don't give in to the lust of our flesh. And when this salvation comes, faith will be no more. We won't need faith anymore. There will be an end to faith. Why? Because we'll be there. We'll see it with our eyes. We'll know it. We'll experience it. It won't be walking by faith anymore. The person that walks through this life every day by faith, though, is a person that loves the Lord, even though they have never seen Him with their eyes. And what does it mean to love the Lord? You know, you hear people say, I hear people say that, well, he loves the Lord. Well, she loves the Lord. But what does a person of faith really look like in this present world? Right? What does it look like to actually love the Lord? Well, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love suffers long, right? So the person that loves the Lord is not quick to give in to temptation, quick to give in to sin and to the things of this world, right? They, they suffer long. They, they hold out, right? They're, they're walking by faith in the Lord. Love is kind, we're told. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. So the person of faith that loves the Lord is not known to be a selfish person seeking what's best for them 
or what they want out of life. It's not a person that's chasing after the world. That's not a person of faith. It's not a person that's living in a worldly manner, that's covetous, seeking the things of this world. 1 Corinthians 13 also tells us that love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. That's what love is. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's very easy, folks, to know when you or someone else really is in the faith. Right? It, because a person, when they really do love the Lord, the Bible tells us what that person looks like. The person of faith loves Jesus in the way that they live. They love the Lord in the way that they live. They don't want to dishonor the Lord with their lives. They won't even think of doing evil. Yeah, there's evil thoughts come to our minds, of course, as we walk through this life. Things come into our minds sometimes because we're all subject to this world. But the person of faith that loves the Lord, whose soul has been saved, who's being kept by the power of God to salvation, will not behave like the rest of the world around them because they love the Lord. They will rejoice in the truth of God and they will endure as love does. They'll keep going. They'll keep fighting the faith. Why? Because they love the Lord. You know, if I love my wife, how many years do I have to be faithful to her? To prove my love to my wife, how many years do I have to go to be faithful to her? The first two years of my marriage, would that have been enough? Right? The first 10 years of our marriage, the first 20 years of our marriage, the first 30 years of our marriage, can I quit? Can I stop if I love her? Can I stop being faithful to her? Can I go do what I want? How many years do I need to consider her in the choices that I make in this life? Isn't it until death does us part? Don't I have to be faithful till death does us part? Right? So again, the person of faith, that's the person that loves the Lord in the way that they live. That's faithful to the Lord all the way till the end. And they're kept by the power of God. The power of God can be at work in a person's life through faith. Okay? And faith requires action. Faith requires works, otherwise it's a dead faith. Okay, but the key thing is that a person, we are to live our lives loving the Lord and our life displays it. I'm faithful to the Lord, not just for the first two years I came to Him, the first 10, the first 20, the first 30. Right now, all the way till the end, I stay the faith and I stay the course of faith. And that person that does that can now rejoice, as the scripture says here, with inexpressible joy, full of glory, knowing that when the last time comes, when that last time gets here, they will be saved. Right? And Peter is encouraging these people of faith and exhorting them to continue in the faith all the way to the end of their lives. You see... 
Unfortunately, there's been a doctrine taught for many years now that perverts grace. It, it teaches that you're saved by grace. You're saved. So it really doesn't matter that you sin after that because it doesn't matter. You're saved by grace. So you can go on sinning, you can go on living the way you want to live in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, and you're okay, you're going to be saved. That's not the gospel. That's not the grace that the Bible teaches. Okay, and Peter goes on telling them how amazing and awesome this salvation is. In verse 10, it says, Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. So salvation in Jesus Christ was God's plan of redemption all along. This is an amazing, wonderful plan of God that has come to fruition. The prophets and the angels would have loved to known what we now know today about Jesus Christ. But the important thing for us to think about is how should this affect the way we live today? Verse 13 begins to answer that question for us. It says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, when you think of girding up the loins, that was something that when people wore robes, when men wore robes in that day and they were about to do some work, they would tie up that robe. They would gird up that robe, you know, fix it up. Like you think of the word girdle, right? They would tie it up because they're ready to do work. And so they wouldn't trip over it or stumble over it or step on it, right? So this is saying, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, focus on this. Get serious about this. Get to work. Be sober, it says. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here again, we see there is salvation in our future. And this salvation is a result of the mercy and the grace of God. We did not deserve for God to do all that He has done to make our salvation possible. But when Jesus comes again, we will receive this eternal life that we can rejoice in even now. And there is work to be done on our parts as we now have to continue in the faith and be faithful unto the Lord all the way till the end of this life. And verse 14 says, as obedient children. So he's still telling us how to, what we need to do. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. You see, we all have a flesh. And we're all born and raised up in this flesh, this carnal mind of ours. And this way that we do things. But there comes a time 
And there needs to come a time in a person's life when they must be born again, as Jesus said. And they must repent. They must change their mind. They must turn and stop living in that ignorance. Again, we cannot have a gospel that is preached today that says, oh, just say this prayer. Just receive Jesus Christ and just believe in Him right now and then just go back to living in your ignorance, as it speaks of here, in the former lust, right? Now we need to be obedient to the Word of the Lord. Right? Verse 15, But as He, look how serious this is, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. How much? Just a little bit of your conduct? No, all of it. All of your conduct. Can you have just this little bit of sin over here that you're doing? No, all of your conduct, right? Because it is written, be holy for I am holy, verse 16 says. So the person that will receive the salvation of their souls is a person that lives their lives in a holy manner. That word holy means to be set apart. Okay? And let me just pause real quick and say something here that's coming to my mind. Keep in mind that today is a new day and that God's mercy is new every morning. That God's mercy is new today. So today, let's say that a person watching or listening or whatever may say, Oh, well, this isn't me. I've not been doing this. I've been living in sin. I've been living with my girlfriend, living with my boyfriend. I've been doing this or doing that, fornication, sex outside of marriage, you know, whatever it may be. I've been doing all this. Today's a new day. Today's the day to repent. Today's the day to turn. Today's the day to stop. God's merciful, okay? But don't make the mistake thinking you're going to be okay doing what you're doing, right? So we all may have had times past in our lives where we've lived, and we have, I know I have, fulfilling the lust of my flesh, right? When, when I was ignorant to the grace of God. But now that we know, right, we need to live like we know. We need to act like you know, as they say, right? Act like you know, because you do know. And if you didn't know, you know now. So now you need to act like you know. And verse 15 there tells us that it's, like I said, like I was saying earlier, it's in all of our conduct. Right? We need to be set apart from the rest of the world. Our Lord is holy, so we must be holy, set apart. The person of faith does not live like the non-born-again people around them. Today we have many people that profess faith in Jesus Christ that are sitting in the pews of churches or the chairs of churches that are in fornication, sex outside of marriage, partying or getting buzzed like the rest of the world around them, not girding up the loins of their minds, not taking it serious, using foul language where blessing and cursing are coming out of the same mouth, behaving rudely, self-centered, Right? All these things that love does not do. Behave rudely and self-centered. That's not a person that loves the Lord. But then that person will then profess, well, I'm saved by grace. Don't judge me. Don't be legalistic to me because I'm saved by grace so I keep living how I want to live. Does the Scripture judge you? 
Does the Word of God judge us? Does the Word of God correct us? Does the Word of God reprove us, rebuke us? It does. All of us. The person that is saved by grace is the person that is denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. The person that is living, they are a person that is living soberly, righteously, and godly in this, per, in this present age. They are a person that is looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everything I just read to you right there is found in Titus chapter 2. Verse 17 continues and says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Think about that. Let's read that verse again. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges. In other words, there's nothing special about you. Okay? And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Right? So do you see the power of that verse? God doesn't care who you are. He's an impartial judge. And He will judge your works. Right? Remember, this is written to believers, not non-believers. It's written to believers. And since this is the case, since God will judge our works, then you and me both need to conduct ourselves in a manner that displays that we actually fear God. And that word fear there means dread, that which strikes terror. There's a reverence. God is serious about the way we live, folks. We can't keep living in sin and expect to be saved. Okay. Verse 18. Keep in mind, God didn't just give something little to redeem us. He didn't just say, oh, here you go, I'll, I'll pay a few dollars to redeem you. Right? No. Verse 18 says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, your parents' religion does not save you, nor does it save them, for that matter. God didn't set up a system where you can buy your way into eternal life or buy somebody's way into heaven. God in His grace and mercy provided His only begotten Son. His blood was shed for your sin, for my sin. He was sinless. He was spotless. He was holy. He died for your sin and mine. Through Jesus today, we have faith in God. So this is cause for us to reverence God in a way that we live. 
Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. What is this telling us? It tells us that the way our souls are purified is in our obeying the truth. The truth that the Spirit of the Lord reveals to us. We are seeing the truth this morning as we read His Word because His Word is truth. There are things we are seeing in the Word of God this morning that we need to take heed to and obey. Things that His Spirit is revealing to us. When we are obedient to the truth, we then are a people that live out love with one another. We are not bitter and angry people and such, fighting, fussing all the time. We're a people that live out love because we're obedient. We're walking in obedience to the commandments of the Lord, to the truth of the Word. Because something has happened in our lives. And verse 23 tells us that having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. That's what happens in a person's life. They're born again. They, when they commit to be obedient to the truth, to walk in obedience to the Word of God. How do we know the truth today? How do we know anything at all about God? How do we know to walk by faith? Well, it's all in the Word of God. And Jesus said that we must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. We must hear the truth in the gospel message and then we must repent. Stop doing, stop living in our former lust that we lived in in our ignorance. And we must come out and be separate, that is to be holy. To live differently than we lived when we were without Christ. The way we can know that we or anyone else for that matter has been truly born again is by the fact that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Our souls are purified only when we walk in obedience to the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. We have to have that kind of faith that keeps us all the way till the end. A faith that works. Time is going by quickly. Our lives will, in this flesh, soon end. And Peter brings that up here. He says, because in verse 24, all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. So all the glory of man, anything good about us, it all fades away, right? Things that used to be up higher, like my pectorials, are down lower, <laughs> you know? Everything's, everything gets old, right? Everything fades away. It all fades away. Verse 25, but... The word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The word of the Lord endures forever. 
this flesh of ours does not. So we have to take it seriously, gird up the loins of our minds, live seriously, live soberly, live righteously in this present age. Right? Do you live today being led by your flesh? Or do you live today being led by the word of the Lord? There is salvation for our souls to be revealed, but our souls must be purified in the obeying of the truth of the Word of God. We must be obedient to the Word of God in order for our souls to be purified. We cannot live in the lust of the flesh and think that our holy God will just give us salvation anyway. When He went to such a great price in the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem us. See, God's grace teaches us the exact opposite of you can live how you want. You can go on and sin. And the person that is saved by grace is the person that walks not in a manner of this world, but rather will be saved through faith that produces works, that keeps all the way till the end. Again, how long do I have to be faithful? One year, two years, three years, 30 years? Any example with my wife, how long? Till death. Right? We've seen that in these verses today. And we see that throughout all the teachings of the apostles, they all teach this same thing. Right? We are called to be holy, set apart. Let's close here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is awesome. Your word is powerful. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts us, Lord. It cuts. The truth cuts deep within us and allows us to see that which needs to be purified, that which needs to be cut out of our lives, Lord. Our souls, parts of our souls that we, we have allowed certain thoughts in, certain doctrines in, and, and then it's manifested in the way that we live our lives. When you call us to purity, you call us to holiness, Lord, to reverence, and I pray, God, that that would be the desire of my heart today, our hearts today, everyone listening, Lord, that they would gird up the loins of their minds, that they would get serious about who you are, Lord, and the life that you have for us to live. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ for the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you were crucified, dead and buried, but you rose again, and you ascended back into heaven, and, and you will someday in like manner return, Lord. We wait for that appearance, Lord, but in the meantime, we must persevere. And I pray, God, that that conviction would be in all of our hearts to persevere all the way till the end, to remain faithful unto you till death does us part from this present world. And we thank you, Lord, and praise you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.